You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Thank you so much. Um, Hope you're having a great morning this morning, this Sunday morning. Um, Excited to be a part of this series that we're doing on Mary. Um, We thought she was such an important character in the story of resurrection that we decided to do three weeks on her. So you heard from Lauren last week talking about this passage. You get to hear from me this week, and then next week, you get to hear from our teaching pastor, Nellis Kennedy Howard, and I'm really looking forward to how she's going to uh, read this and what sort of fresh and new insights she's going to bring us from this passage. But today, I want to start by just kind of telling you my point. Right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you that um, what I think this passage is about is that Jesus wants to take you forward not back. Jesus wants to take you forward, not back. And quite honestly, he doesn't seem very concerned about keeping things normal. So why does he want to take you forward and not back? Well, because going back is really all about certainty. And going forward is about trust. And I think that even though what we want now, even especially right now, to go back to normal to have something feel like we can rely on. We, we feel like what we want is certainty, but I believe what we truly desire is trust. I believe that what we definitely want to have more is this intimate relationship with God and with Jesus, and that is based on trust. So I know that we're all kind of all over the map in terms of where we are spiritually. So we, you might be anywhere from agnostic, atheist, all the way over to sold out, full-blown believer. Um, but this is something that I think, regardless of where you are spiritually, you can use, depend, regardless of what you use uh, in terms of your own spiritual practice or, or lack thereof. But uh, you don't have to take my word for it. You can just follow your curiosity and do your own research and see where it leads you. That would be fantastic. We're just going to graze the surface today of this huge issue, this huge topic. I think it's probably one of the most dominant themes in all of Scripture. For today, we're gonna, I'm going to make my case for this story written by this Jewish author, John, as he is writing. He's one of uh, sort of Jesus's closest friends. And he's written his own treaties about who Jesus is. And um, he goes through the story about how Jesus is wrongfully accused and murdered and dies and then returns to life. And we all know this as the Easter story, right? It happened just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, But John goes on in his story to talk about what happens the following day. Um, So spoiler alert, things do not go back to normal when Jesus comes back from the dead. But before we go into that story, I want to start talking about gardening. See, I love gardening. I, I, like, um, I actually love the composting part of gardening. I'm, I'm not as much into like, Krista, my wife, takes care of like the putting of the seeds in the, in the rows and the flower beds, and she loves that part. I love the composting part. I know it's really strange. But the thing about gardening 
that's so interesting to me is that the, the, the way humus develops in a compost heap. Um, so it, at home and my compost piles, I've got my green compost, my brown compost, and then a mixed pile. And at, all of that, that heat that generates from basically decaying life and uh, things breaking down to their smallest uh, material that at that point resists any further decomposition. And that's what's called humus. And that humus then becomes sort of like, I don't know, it's like superpowers for growth. Everything grows in humus. Um, And you'll know when you have it because it gets all over your hands. It's kind of like it's this dark soil and it smells sweet. That's the real good stuff. I love it when we get there. I feel like I've finally really achieved something in garden, in gardening. But some of the most notable gardens that I've noticed throughout scripture and some really important things have happened in these gardens. One is the Garden of Eden, right? That's where it all starts. Uh, the whole story of God and of humans starts in the Garden of Eden. And then later on, another notable garden in the Old Testament is Shulamite's Garden, uh, which is the setting for the entire book of Song of Songs. And then, of course, we know the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus was um, tested and betrayed. And then we have this garden, this garden where we find Mary, uh, the morning of the resurrection. And this is the Garden of Skull Hill or Golgotha. And I always found that sort of strange that we have like a garden right next to a place that was used for torture and murder fascinating to me. And I would think that with all of these gardens throughout scripture, that God would have a garden at the end of the story, you know, like in Revelation. But that's not what happens. All these things start in gardens, but they end up in a city. And that's really interesting. So I I get the sense that God's really not wanting to take you back to a garden but rather he wants to take you forward to something new. So here we are at the the resurrection, first encounter Jesus has, and it's with his disciple, Mary Magdalene. I'm going to read this passage here in John 20, verses 11 through 18. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this time, she turned around and saw that Jesus was standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which is this esteemed teacher, this highly respected teacher is the the name that she gave him. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet assented to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell me and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she told them all of the things that he had said to her. So a couple of things about this passage that I think are very interesting and I want to point out. 
Gardens are symbolic. Okay, they're not just geographic places, but they mean something to the Jewish mind. Think about it. Like, the whole origin story happens in a garden. And then gardens keep popping up as these places of rest, places of shalom and peace and of creation. Even in the, the, the story of Hosea, the, the, the Old Testament prophet, he says that he's going, God is going to take Gomer, this um, prostitute, and going to take her out into the wilderness and make her a garden where she is a wellspring out there. So something is about transformation and, and, and hope in a garden. Um, the second thing I want you to know is that Mary sees Jesus before recognizing him. Verse 14, at this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. How could you not realize Jesus is standing right in front of you, especially when he's the one you're looking for? Well, I'll have a couple ideas. One is she's overwhelmed with grief. When you're in grief, when you're so disoriented, really neurologically what's happening is you're narrowing your focus. You're just, there's so much triage happening in your brain and your body that you only see what's right in front of you, only know the next step to take, and you could miss what's right in front of you. I think maybe another reason that she confused Jesus with the gardener is the fact that he had just gotten out of a grave and he had dirt all over his hands. He had the humus, the, the dead, dying, still left on his bodies, just like a gardener would, working in the soil. Maybe picked up on just that. I don't know. I just have this hunch that it could have been a reason that she thought he was the gardener. His hands were dirty because resurrection is a dirty business. It's not a snap and cleaned up, you're all ready to go. No, it's often a very long, arduous process. So it's fascinating to me that he's, he's asking before he gets to her name, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? It's almost like she's, he's confronting her with the painful reality of her grief, this experience that she's just having. And then he reveals his identity by acknowledging his deep knowing of her identity. Names are huge in scripture. Names are all about identity. And um, it's actually one of the reasons that I, when I got married, I took on my wife's maiden name and she took on my bachelor name and we became Romic Levitt because we believed that what had happened in our covenant together was that God had changed us fundamentally from two into one. And we became this new being and our names changed, our identities changed. That's what happens. And there's, there's an old life that gets separated from us. And it was hard because it was disruptive to my family. It was disrupt, people didn't understand it. I was traveling a lot for work and so it made things harder at the airport. It made things harder sometimes to order online because they were like, are you Levitt? Are you Romig? Who are you? And I was like, no. I, I am Roe McLevitt, and I had to be constantly reminded that my identity had been changed. Who I was before was all gone. And um, 
So what you have here is very an interesting um, event that what Mary thinks she has is the old Jesus back. So she goes to embrace him, shouting his name. Can you imagine the relief she feels in that moment? And what Jesus does is not respond by embracing her. In fact, he says, don't hold on to me. That to me seems almost like a violent response. Like, geez, Jesus, how could you be so harsh? (laughs) Do you know what this woman has gone through? But he wants her to understand, listen, the reality between us has changed. I'm not the same Jesus. Things have changed, Mary, and you're different, and I have new things for you to do. He's like right into this new reality that resurrection has created. The death of her teacher is real. This is not the same Jesus. So a couple of things that I, uh, some applications that I would like, I, I think we could all take from this passage. One is, you have to let the old life go. Okay, we've been here in seven weeks, six weeks of the COVID-19 crisis. It's starting to get hard what uh, our old routines felt like. We're still grieving them. And we're still in the middle of the trauma. Things are changing every day, every week. We're going to start maybe kind of opening up different things in Colorado here soon. And I think it's just going to be the next stage in our grieving process. And this is what's important about when we begin to let old things go, we have to remind ourselves we are in a grieving process. So we're going to go through the same steps of denial, anger, bargaining, you know, and then finally acceptance. And we're going to be doing that as a system, as a large society, but also individually. And so we need an immense amount of grace for the people around us and for ourselves because we've never done this before. And, and for my own grief, like I've, I've done a lot of trying to like manage it by working harder, trying to capture the things that I, that might, that I might lose, you know, and then I go to the grocery store and I'm like, my grocery store can't even be the way I remember it. I, you know, I've got to wear a mask now. I've got to do this. And I, I go, this is not normal. This is not the routine I was used to. What has changed? My old life has been taken from me. And so I'm now being put in the place of having to trust. And I just want to draw your attention a little bit of stuff that you're already aware of. Just look at what's going on in our country, right? And two different responses, a lot of different responses to grief, right? So we have people who are protesting, who are angry, who, are, who, are, who, who maybe don't believe it, who think even if they do believe it, that there's these different kinds of cures and you know, different people at, different, at various places in our government who believe a lot of different things about how to cure this virus. So then when we're wrong, we try and figure out blame and we, try and we, we shout across uh, a street because we're mad about not getting a haircut. Um, and then on the other side, we have people who are coming out of retirement, doctors coming out of retirement to, cure, to treat sick patients, getting infected themselves and dying. Then there's grocers who are working 12-hour shifts. I mean, I think of other, other friends, people in our community, I think of Sherry, who's working with the marginalized 
and the homeless populations and then potentially been a, a, in, affected and infected recently. So we're praying for Sherry. I think of Tyler, who's Chelsea's husband, working in the Brighton Police Department, putting himself at risk every day to keep people safe. And I think about which, which position requires more trust. Which one requires like this want to go back to certainty and which one is about moving forward and um, maybe your business is shut down. Maybe you're out of work. Maybe you're worried about next month's groceries. I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize the impact of illness and the fact that domestic violence is rising. The fact that people who needed AA meetings can't be there and they're stuck inside their house. Um, these are huge problems. And each one of us are forced to contend with the question, which is a position of trust and which is me going back to a place of wanting certainty? You see, you, you can be angry. You can be sad. That is allowed. And we can decide to be stuck or move forward. We can decide to do the Netflix escape, right? Or we can decide to do the blame game and the, the media self-righteousness on our on our. Twitter feed or Instagram or whatever, they would make us feel safe. Or we can go forward with Jesus and go, what is the new season you're calling me into? Because here's my second point. Resurrection is not just an event. It is a way of life. It is a way of life. That humus, that broken down, dead old life is always producing new life and our, our savior, our creator is a gardener. He's not a boss. He's not a general. He's not a Caesar. He's a gardener who knows our species and knows how we grow best. And so trusting that gardener to cultivate us and to protect us and to know what's good for our future is what we're invited into. One of the ways you could do that potentially is as we are in this place of not, no routines and all of our routines have been blown up, is trying to find a personal ritual that helps you say thank you and goodbye to your old life. I, one idea might, might be uh, what we do at our, at our family um, is we write thank you notes. So every dinner time or most dinner times, you know, when we remember, we put little st sticky notes on everybody's plate and pens on the table. And we just write a thank you or something we're grateful for for that day. It all goes into a jar and all that kind of stuff. At the beginning of every year, what we do is we take all those notes, we read them out loud, we laugh, we're grateful, we hear ourselves from that year, and it's great. And then we burn all of the notes together because they're all gone. All of those days are all gone. And it's important to be present with those moments. It's important to be present for your life in order to go forward. You cannot go forward without being present first. So do not hold on. Do not hold on to this moment. Ask yourself, what new thing is God inviting me into? What new thing is God inviting me into? Maybe this season is not the obstacle to your life. Maybe this is your life the life Jesus is calling you into to be present with. 
Maybe God is inviting you into this moment. So two years ago, I started running and uh, I had never been a runner before, not very athletic, but I just turned 40, had a big burnout at work. And I was like, I think I need this. And it was hard. Uh, I don't know if you've tried it. Um, You have to move your legs all the time. You have to breathe heavy, like muscles are working. And uh, it's not like taking a nap. Like I like one, I want to take a nap. Um, when I'm running. Um, Everything from putting on my shoes to the next step in front of me was hard work. And I've always felt this, that I wanted to have finished a race or finished a run, not actually have run. (laughs) You know, I want to have it done as soon as I'm started. But something switched in my mind when I started to give up on the finish and tried to just be present to each moment in where I was running to just be present to that moment. And it was like I had felt this whisper into my soul that was saying, this moment is the reward. There's no other reward. There's nothing to win. It's just this moment. And I realized God, the God of the universe, was available to me, give me access to all God was in that moment through Jesus and his resurrection and his life that his resurrection life was in each inhale and in every exhale, if I could just simply trust it. See, running without God was hell. It was nothing but shame and insecurity. I felt fat, I felt stupid, I felt old, and felt like striving futilely. Running with Jesus was an access to eternal life. It was heaven and unlocked a door to my identity. One last final story I want to give you is a picture of what I think this could look like for us. It comes from uh, author Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor in Auschwitz and wrote to um, develop the theory of logotherapy. Um, He was conscripted to be a doctor in the camps at at Auschwitz, um, serving and and treating the other Jewish um, inmates there, the other prisoners. So he saw often a lot of death, a lot of needless suffering. And he writes one about this one particular woman that he uh, was treating. He says, the story of the young woman whose death I witnessed in a concentration camp, it is a simple story. There is little to tell and it may sound as if I had invented it. But to me, it seems like a poem. This young woman knew that she would die in the next few days But when I talked to her, she was cheerful in spite of this knowledge. I am grateful that fate has hit me so hard, she told me. In my former life, I was spoiled and did not take spiritual accomplishments seriously. Pointing through the window of the hut, she said, the tree here is the only friend I have in my loneliness. And through the window, she could see just one branch of a chestnut tree, and on the branch were two blossoms. I often talk to this tree, she said. I was startled. I didn't quite know what to say, uh, how to take her words. Was she delirious? Did she occasionally have hallucinations? Anxiously, I asked her if the tree replied. Yes. And what did it say to her? She answered, it said to me, I am here, I am here 
I am life, eternal life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you do nothing other than present yourself as you are. You are the the door to eternal life. You are the resurrection and the life. And what does life mean? What does your life mean? It means the constant inhale and exhale of resurrection. It means in every season, you are available to show us how to move forward, how to create something new. You make it from the dead material of our old life. So Jesus, we ask you, creator of all things, Would you create something new in us? Would you help us see the new that is being birthed in this season, this life? Maybe it is not an obstacle. Maybe this is the life we're called to. Show us how to live it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 1030 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.